Well, we come now to our introduction to systematic theology. We are continuing on the doctrine of sin. Last Lord's Day, we wrapped up the part where we considered the nature of the original sin there in the garden. And recall that we observed from the story of the fall the point at which Satan attacked our first parents, and that was to attack God's word. God had clearly communicated to Adam what he wanted from him and what he did not want him to do. And it was Adam's job to keep and guard that word, to keep and guard the temple garden. And he was not only to protect himself, but his wife. And yet at some point, Adam got lax in his job. And this crafty little serpent now starting to have these casual conversations with Eve. And the serpent we see is honed in on the word of God. He wants to cast doubt on God's word. He wants man to question it. He wants man to oppose it. And so in our last lesson, we highlighted three lies that Satan sold to man. One, the lie that God does not preserve and govern all his creatures and all their actions. God clearly warned Adam that in the day that he eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And yet Satan says, you will not surely die. In other words, God is not in control. God's not going to hold you accountable. Two, the second lie was that it was God's purpose to frustrate man, to prevent man from self-realization. In other words, God doesn't really have any real interest in them and benefiting them. God was enslaving them by his law, preventing man from reaching full potential. Satan says to Eve, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. and You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, God's holding something back from you. And then the third lie, as we also see in that statement from Satan, is that man is his own God. That man can determine without reference to God and his word what is good and what is evil. And as we noted, to claim to be God in the face of the creator God is to wage war against God. God is very zealous for his glory, and he will not share that with anyone. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And so you not only go to war with God by claiming to be God, but as we noted, you will lose that battle every single time. So, so those are some of the lies that we saw last week from Satan. And we see the point at which he attacks, that being the word of God. That when you come to despise God's word, you despise God and have declared war against him. You cannot separate God from his word. Satan understood that. So what does he do? He wants man to rebel against God. So what does he attack? God's word to man. Thus, sin, as our standards define it, is any want of conformity unto or transgression of any law of God is given as a rule to the reasonable creature. Did God really say this? That was the point of attack. And so we see that definition of sin there in the original sin there in the garden, but we also see it more explicitly in texts like 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawless, lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. But on the contrary, do you want to know God? Know his word. Do you want to grow in your relationship with Christ? Grow in your study and application of his word. 
Do you want God to speak to you? Read the Bible. Do you want to hear the audible voice of God? Read the Bible out loud. But beloved, if you think you're going to do it any other way, then guess what? You've bought into the lie from Satan. Well, that kind of summarizes our last two lessons concerning the nature of sin. Today, I want to focus on a statement made by our confession in chapter 6, paragraph 2, where we begin to explore the consequences of sin. There we read, by this sin, that is the sin of eating the forbidden fruit, they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and so became dead in sin, and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. Now, this is our confession statement on what has become known as the doctrine of total depravity. And so that's what I want to focus on today. But I'm going to come at this topic a little bit in a different angle than what you might be used to. I don't know if you remember this, but back when we were looking at the doctrine of God's eternal decree, one of the things that we highlighted there were some of the scriptures in which God mocks the idols that men create. And in the process of mocking these idols, God tells us something about himself, especially concerning his sovereignty. For example, in Isaiah 41, remember we read all this back then, uh, verses 22 and 23, bring in your idols to tell us what is going to happen. Declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know that you are God's. I, on the other hand, God, have stirred up one from the north, and he comes, one from the rising sun who calls on my name. Who told of this from the beginning? So we could know, or beforehand, so we could say he was right. No one told of this. No one foretold it. No one heard any words from you. I was the first to tell Zion, look, here they are. Uh, we just read Isaiah 42, verse 8. Let's go on to verse 9. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or praise to, my, to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. In Isaiah 43, 11 and 12, it says, I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. And then Isaiah 44, 7 through 8. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. And so the point was made back then that we see that one of the very things that God himself highlights about himself in demonstrating his uniqueness as God in opposition to all false gods and idols that he knows all things, including the future because he has decreed all things. He knows, he decrees, he speaks, he hears, he sees. In contrast, these idols that men create and worship don't know. They don't decree, they don't speak, they don't hear, they don't see. And God mocks these stupid, deaf, dumb, and blind idols that we create out of wood and stone. Now, the reason I brought that up back then was to emphasize God's sovereignty. 
Thus, it is God and God alone who can foretell what will happen in contrast to these deaf, dumb, and blind idols. They can't do anything. Well, now I want to bring that back into our lesson today to point out something else that's going on with these idols. And I noticed this back then when we were going through that, and I bookmarked it, and I was hoping I could have a chance to come back to it. Well, here we are. I want to read to you from Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. This is another place where God mocks these deaf, dumb, and blind idols. But as you're listening, pay very close attention to verse 8, because this is where things get really interesting. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. And in verse 8, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Hmm. Psalm 135, almost identical. Verses 15 through 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. And then verse 18. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. There it is again. Twice here in these Psalms, we have an explicit statement that those who make idols and those who trust in them, quote, will become like them. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to turn into wood, Pinocchio or something? What is it about these idols that is highlighted in both of these Psalms? They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but cannot hear. They have mouths, but cannot speak. No sound is coming from their throats, nor is there breath in their mouths. In other words, they're deaf, dumb, and blind. They're lifeless. And God says those who make them and trust in them will become like them. Is it not perfectly reasonable then to expect that when we read the scripture and how it describes idolaters, unbelievers, those who have rejected the worship of the one true God for idols and false gods, that we would expect the Bible to describe these people in the same way. Deaf, dumb, and blind. Lifeless. Well, we read from Isaiah 44, verses 7 and 8. Let's keep reading from verse 8. Fear not, nor be afraid. I have, not, have I not told you from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not other. In verse 9. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a God or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen that are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. Then he becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man, the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. 
He cuts down cedars and he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and breaks bread. And he also makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasted it and is satisfied. And he also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol. He falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is their knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. and He cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? We also read, we read from Isaiah 42. Let's read from uh, verses 17 through 20 of that same chapter. It says, they turned back and are early put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you death. And look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one? Uh, or as blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. We read from Isaiah 43, verses 11 and 12. Let's go back. Just a few verses, the 8 and 10. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can de declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4, But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear. This continues on in the New Testament. In Mark 8, it says the disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And then in Matthew 13, we see where the disciples are perplexed as to why Jesus is teaching the crowd in parables. And this one's really relevant because he's going to quote back to Isaiah. They say, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to, to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. 
nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, or ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. All throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus saying to people, he who has ears, let him hear. In the book of Revelation, he says over and over again to the churches, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Why are they saying this? Why is this language here? Because it's pointing us out to the reality that in our idolatry, in our forsakenness of the worship of the one true God, we become like the idols that we worship. We become deaf, dumb, and blind. We become spiritually lifeless. You see, as we've been looking at in the garden, we were made to image God, his likeness, and holiness, and righteousness, to reflect his glory. But in our sinful rebellion against his authority and his word, we come instead to resemble the gods of our own making. Oh, we may look impressive on the outside, right? We have ears, we have eyes, we have mouths. We'll even decorate them, make them look even more impressive. And yet apart from the grace of God, we are nothing more than deaf, dumb, and blind. Spiritually lifeless, dead in our sins. We have no spiritual mouths to cry out for his grace or confess his praise. We have no spiritual sense to experience the beauty of God in Christ. We have no spiritual hands to offer him worship. We have no spiritual feet to walk with him in faith and obedience. We are as spiritually dead as the deaf, dumb, and blind wood or stone that we worship. And don't think, well, I don't worship little figures around my house, little wooden stuff. Well, that's just one form of idolatry. It takes many forms, but at heart, we are all the same and the result is the same. We read that from Paul in Romans 1. Again, for what can be known about God is plain in him because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. You know, I was, <clears throat> as I was thinking about this while driving the semi-truck, I thought, you know, I don't know of anyone who would take someone up in a debate where they would have to prove that a piece of wood that's been carved into the figure of a man with eyes, ears, and mouth, that that lifeless piece of wood can actually see, hear, or speak. I mean, you might find some weirdo in some philosophy class somewhere who might take you up on that debate, <laughs> but I don't know any sane person that would. No one's going to debate that. I don't know of anyone who would argue in favor of a wood Piece of wood having libertarian free will. That's, we laugh because it's, it's silly. 
to even think about. Yet when it comes to us and our fallen state, now all of a sudden we want to argue. We want to debate. Well, there's doubt. We start having these casual conversations with Satan. Oh, I'm not blind or I'm partially blind. Or I'm only partially deaf. I'm only partially foolish. You know, we may balk at the label total depravity. You may squirm at the name of John Calvin or the label reformed or Puritan. Call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, the Bible says you are dead in your sins. Full stop. That's it. And that's what we mean. You are just as deaf, dumb, and blind as that lifeless piece of wood. Romans 8, 6 through 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You're not going to raise yourself. I will raise him up. I will draw him. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And then down in verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who, uh, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Beloved, understand that in your fallen state, you are dead in your sin and wholly defiled in all faculties and parts of soul and body. You have no life in you. You are no more partially blind, partially deaf, partially dumb than a lifeless piece of wood is. And what will God do with you as a deaf, dumb, and blind, lifeless vessel? Same thing he does with wooden idols and the trees from which they are carved. He will throw them in the fire. Revelation 21.8 But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then in Revelation 20, verse 15, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what do we do about it? Well, we'll get to that in our next and final lesson next week, Lord's willing, where we will address how that original sin is passed down to all those under Adam, and then how Jesus Christ answers that as the last Adam to save all those who are under him or in him. But the short answer is this, again, Psalm 115. Those who become or those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. But verse 9, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield.